0: If you're trying to figure out how to navigate the tricky tightrope of parenting while you have questions, doubts, and wonderings about your spiritual journey, our podcast is for you.
1: It doesn't matter if your kids are smalls, middles, or bigs. We'll explore what and how we're deconstructing from churchianity, harmful belief systems, and diving deep into the ways we can work this out in parenthood.
0: We're also going to work through ideas for reconstructing a space for our families to thrive under new systems of love and freedom.
1: We can't wait to bring you some hope that you're not alone and that it's really okay, even good, to explore all the possibilities that may have felt closed off in the past.
0: Our podcast is going to offer you grace and space to be exactly where you are and who you are.
1: We're really glad you're here, and we're excited for today's episode. Listen in.
0: My favorite quote is this one. Am I being pushed by fear or led by love? Emily P. Freeman.
1: Welcome to the Deconstructing Mamas podcast. We're so excited for you guys listening in today. um, I'm actually interviewing Esther, my co-host. So hey, Esther. Hey. (laughs) Really excited. Um, We've known each other now for a few years, but I feel like we haven't really had the time to sit down and talk about each other's stories and really get down to kind of the nitty gritty. So I'm excited to have this convo with you and everyone else is just going to listen in, I guess, you know, and they'll learn what I'll learn.
0: Yeah, I get excited about this because we don't know each other's real stories, like the behind the scenes ones, and we are still learning about each other. So I'm happy to share with you and our listeners a little bit of an out of the box childhood that I had that turned into a very, quote unquote, normal (laughs) adulthood in many ways.
1: From the bits and pieces that we've talked about, I'm very excited to hear more. But for those who are listening in and are like, who are these people? Um, What does a day in your life look like? What is your family like? What makes your heart come alive? What do people need to know about Esther?
0: what do I want people to know about me? Okay, here goes. I live in rural New Jersey. Yes, there is such a thing. So for those of you who've only flown into Newark airport or watched Jersey shore, you might be shocked when you visit me. I live on a house on something called hell mountain. And before you get freaked out, hell means bright in German. <laughs> And this little tiny town in the middle of absolutely nowhere was settled by the natives from my husband's motherland. And my house is surrounded by perennial gardens. We live in the middle of the woods, but just down Hell Mountain is farmland with cows and all that. And actually, our neighbors have chickens and we get fresh eggs from them. And on Saturdays, we, you can find uh, my husband and I chopping wood for our wood-burning stove And then in the warm weather, I'm either digging in my garden or I'm doing yoga on my deck, surrounded by the glory of all the beautiful flowers. Ah. So this is all pretty new still for me. So I'm giddy and pinching myself like a lot of days. But what's not so new is this. When I'm not on a date with my husband's of 30 years, which just like sounds crazy to me, you can find me writing taping and editing podcasts with Liz, right? Watching first responder shows or the national football league. I'm a big Steelers fan. And you might find me while I'm doing either of those things, eating potato chips with a big glass of milk. I know, (laughs) I know it's so strange, but if you think about sour cream and a baked potato, it might make a little more sense. But if you were a fly on my wall you probably are going to hear me talking with a friend or my kids, and it happened again this morning, about how to cure the ills of our homes and then the big giant world out there. And I'm also a mom to four grownish and flownish kids and their significant others and a little cute, adorable <laughs> grandson. And that's kind of me. Hmm. You asked what makes my heart come alive. So here it is. I have a fierce passion to restore hope where our hearts and our homes meet, like that super sacred spot. And that primarily includes the spaces of faith and marriage and motherhood. And having mostly raised my kids, as you already heard, and I love being a mom and I love what it means to be a mom. It means now giving others the roots of unconditional love and the wings of freedom to be completely themselves. And I want to kind of do that for the rest of my days. And I know you and I've joked about this, Liz. I'm like the mom to everybody. That's probably because I want to reflect the mothering heart of God, one that I feel like nurtures and deeply cares and one that guides and cheers us all. And then really mostly one that frees and heals people. That's what my mission was for my kids and now has moved into the space of the rest of the world, right?
1: I love that. I really, really love that. So what intrigued you about launching this podcast with me from the outside, right? We seem like so we're in different stages of our life, like we're just so different. Why me? Why this podcast? Why are we doing this?
0: I know. (laughs) I'm so excited about this podcast because I feel like you and I, even though we're so different and in different stages of life, have been on kind of a similar journey and we have a passion for people. And mostly for the wounds of people and the ways that they can be healed. And I've personally seen the destruction that comes from a very rigid, controlling behavior management, fear driven faith that feels like it has nothing to do with Jesus, like nothing. Then I've also personally experienced the healing in my own heart and in my family, my marriage, my parenting, when the freedom to be curious, to learn and grow and evolve that's based in love. Provides transformational hope. And that looks a lot more like Jesus to me, a lot more. And I definitely know what what it was like. And I also have so many glimmers of hope of what it can be like. And that's why I want to have people on to talk to them to see what they're doing and how they're doing this crazy journey of rethinking and rebuilding their faith. Because I want hope and I need hope. But can I just stop a second and give a little shout out to you, Liz? (laughs) (laughs) You are probably one of the only people I could do this with because your heart is so tender and your heart is so beautiful and your heart is for others to enter into this space of freedom too. And we've talked a lot about what we want the tone of this podcast to be. And we are so on the same page about that. We want this to be a place where others can come and their souls will be able to breathe. And that, there, my friend, is why I'm excited to do it with you.
1: Oh, gosh. That was like, that was really sweet. I don't. (laughs) Where do I go from there? That was like, just like really kind and sweet and. I, I feel the same way about you, but can, okay. So this is, this is going to be really interesting because you have, um, definitely a unique childhood experience. Um, so can you give our listeners a little peek into that out of the norm childhood and what part that has played on your faith journey?
0: Yeah, I would love to. So believe it or not, I was born in Ethiopia My parents were evangelical missionaries that wanted to spread the gospel to those who had not heard. So picture this, uh, and I'm a lot older than Liz. It's 1966, it's February, and a little girl is born in a clinic, not a hospital, in a super rural village in Ethiopia. And I was the fourth of four kids, the only girl born to a mom who probably prayed for a girl. I think she prayed, totally prayed, and finally got her wish. And when I was really little, I had a Somali nanny, yeah, Somali, even though we were in Ethiopia, and who didn't even speak English. And then when I was just four, my mom and dad put me in a local French kindergarten because I was a wide-eyed, curious, very early reader. And then at five, we moved to the capital city, and I went to boarding school and if my memory serves me correctly, my parents drove me back and forth the first year. But after that, I was a stay over all the time kid along with my older brothers. Wow. And boarding school is like all the things. We had verse group where we memorized Bible verses even before breakfast and got prizes like going to a fancy restaurant, I guess, at the airport um, for having done it perfectly for the whole year. And I will say this, I don't remember a time where I didn't get to go to the airport. So that says something a little bit about me. But because we had so many people in our school from different Western countries, I remember like singing God Save the Queen and Oh Canada and saying the Pledge of Allegiance like during our morning meetings. But the cool part about that was I had friends from all over the world. Wow. And even though my brothers were at the same school, I didn't see them very much. Only in passing, because we were separated in our dorm rooms with our dorm parents by age and gender. So like all the eight, eight-year-old girls were together, all the 12-year-old boys were together and stuff like that. But we, it was kind of normal in some ways because we had field day, Halloween parades, recess, music lessons. Um, but we also, it was weird because we had long lines for vaccinations and we played unsupervised outside. We were in like a walled-in compound but we played for what felt like hours and hours after school and before dinner. And I say this now, it almost felt like being in college when you were seven. Um, but my, my like favorite memory of boarding school was my dorm mother reading the Chronicles of Narnia before bedtime. We would gather at her feet and she would read a chapter every night. And I had like this weird secret about it. I loved Aslan more than I loved Jesus. And I kind of felt bad about that because I was told definitely to love Jesus. But Jesus and mostly God and all that felt really scary to me. Like they were sending me to hell for being bad. And Aslan was playful and kind and loved the kids in the story, even though he was a big lion. And I didn't see my parents much except for on weekends or holidays. And I guess if I was really sick or something.
1: That's so intriguing to me that you, so you lived in a boarding school that was in the same town that your parents lived in, but you didn't see them all that often. I mean, did you miss them? And did you miss your brothers while you were at school? Do you remember that as being a part of your experience?
0: Yeah, I I guess I just didn't really know better. My parents were like so busy for God and I was told that was a good thing that I have really spotty memories of my family. But when we were together, it mostly felt good, except for all the more normal things that go along with people trying to raise spicy kids and teens. It's more like I didn't know what I was missing, if that makes sense. It was all I knew. And all the kids around me were in the same boat. But compared to other kids whose parents were really far away, I had local parents. And if I needed them, they could get to me. And they did come for things like field day since they were in the same town. And I do remember my dad was the referee for the high school basketball games that my brothers played in. Um, but one super out of the box thing that happened was that when I was in fifth grade, there was a communist coup and they killed the King many of his children and grandchildren. And I think some of those grandchildren were in our school So everything became pretty scary after that, and there was war, there was gunfire that I could hear from school, there were communist marches in the streets, and then famine came. And I think after about two long years and brewing hatred of foreigners, my parents grabbed us and we, for lack of a better word, fled the country, and my parents had to leave most of their belongings behind. And that's when we landed right here in New Jersey when I was in junior high. And after that, my parents worked for the United States headquarters. And when I tell this story out loud, it feels even odd to say the words, but I share it with all the complicated and beautiful feelings that everybody has about their childhood, right? And I know you asked how it played out in my faith journey, and probably the best way for me to explain it is to share a story. I was just nine and I remember laying in my bed most nights just crying because I was so sure I was going to hell. And I had been told that I needed to ask Jesus into my heart and then I would magically be saved. And I feel like I was told that this would also make me good. And because I didn't have a mommy or daddy just down the hall to tell all the weird things that were in my head, my thoughts just swirled and swirled. So every single night, and I, and I bet a lot of our listeners can relate to this. I asked Jesus into my heart, but then nothing would change and I'd be bad again like the next day. So I'd freak out again alone in my bed and ask him into my heart again and tell him like, okay, I really mean it this time. And that went on for like a super long time. I I wonder if I had like this weird cognitive dissonance as a kid, because adults were telling me it was just this magic prayer that would make me saved and make me good. But I just still felt so bad on the inside. And like I said before, and I don't think this is that strange, and I've talked to a lot of people about this. When you grow up in an evangelical fundamentalist environment, that scared little boy or girl just wants to make God happy, does not want to go to hell. And it just doesn't seem to fit their experience of supposedly doing the right thing on the outside, like saying the right prayer, and then you don't feel any different on the inside. And it all boils down to that fear-driven faith. And to be honest, I held on to that for a very, very long time until pretty recently. And that's been sort of the journey of my faith. It was pushed by fear in all the worst ways. And it was not led by love, which is most likely what propelled me to go down this deconstructing journey, even as a little girl in a dorm room in a foreign country alone in the dark
1: I always find it really interesting when we talk about ourselves um you know I'm listening I'm listening to your story internally like my mouth is just like open I'm gaping because to me I just can't even imagine um and I've had people say the same thing about my story and it's just so interesting that when we're talking about our own stories oftentimes I think we say we just can talk about it because it's just was our experience. Right. Um, But I mean, that's some of the things that you went through. I could not imagine like those are hard things for a little kid to go through, whether, you know, whether you're in a Christian home or whether you're just, you know, just a kid. Right. Without all the extra, you know, evangelical baggage that sometimes comes. So
0: I know that's like a lot. And I'm pretty sure we'll talk about more about all of this in the future, episodes of the podcast, both of us. But it's good to share with our listeners a little peek into uh, our childhood stories. And I know we dove into yours last week. So if you haven't listened, it is gold. And what perhaps propelled us into where we are today.
1: Yeah. Well, I know that deconstructing has been... You know a more a more recent thing for you um can you talk to us a little bit about what it's looked like for you and when it started um you know you talked about this sort of event long ago it sounds like you were questioning things even as a child right but was there a specific event later on that propelled you into this journey of deconstruction
0: i would say that like lots of people, deconstruction has been like a long, slow, and as we know now, never-ending process. And I've often wondered if it happens to those of us who are more curious and not really okay with like the black and white answers and wanting to dive deeper. And I used to be scared of the word rebellious because that meant I was bad, but I've kind of embraced that word. And I like that I'm a little bit rebellious because it makes me be able to say like, nope, you know what? Nope. I don't have to believe that or do that just because you're telling me to, and I'm actually going to figure it out for myself. So I I feel a little bit like God was putting all these things in my path, and I kept shoving them down, and I wonder if it's because I was afraid of all the things I was being told, like, you'll go down the slippery slope, or you'll be backslidden, or you'll be the prodigal son squandering God's gifts to you. All those sort of stay in line, fear-driven messages that kept me shoving it down, and putting it away. And and I remember thinking like, that doesn't sound right. And and that doesn't sound right. But everyone around me was like, that is right. And don't you ask any questions because you'll be one of those people on the outside that we all pray for. So it was probably like so many defense mechanisms that, that kept me in check. And one of like my own personal defense mechanisms was the counting on the formula. Like I did when I was a little girl, like if I do this magic thing, then good stuff will happen. And, and I remember even going into, um, right before I was married, being fairly convinced that if I had a godly husband, and I was a passionate wife, that we would have a perfect marriage. And if we had a perfect marriage and we were really good parents, that we would have a well-behaved child. And then if we had a well-behaved child and we put them in the right school system and they had a really good youth group, then our teen would make all the right wise choices. And kind of on and on and on, right? Right. <laughs> and I, I think that it really would boil down to this idea that I held so fast to, which was do all the right things and make right, all the right godly choices, and then life will go the way that it should. And I know you're, you probably know where I'm going with this. And here's what I'm going to say until it doesn't. And then what happens? And you're like, okay, <laughs> because somewhere along the line when A plus B is supposed to equal C and it looks more like D E F G H I J all the way down to the rest of the alphabet. And then some you're left without anything. And I I saw that happen. I saw lots of situations where it was a godly husband and a passionate wife. And then they had a messy divorce and they actually, people who had a good marriage and they were really good parents. And then they had a kid with oppositional defiance disorder And then here's one that we experienced at some level was a strong youth group and a pretty good child. And they ended up with what I would deem to be a a substance abuse issue as a teen. So like, what do you do then? And I saw all this stuff play out outside of my home. And then just as you heard inside of it, And so it wasn't long before I was like, this is not adding up, but my, my body, my body did did not love this. Um, And and in my late thirties, I actually had a mental health breakdown because the formulas just were not working and I, I didn't have anywhere else to go. And that was like horrible and awful, but, and CS Lewis refers to it this way, I was given a terrible gift that literally like stopped me in my tracks. And I was sort of forced to re-examine and ask myself this question instead. Mm -hmm. If not that, then what? (laughs) And I'm kind of glad that the formula fell apart or started to fall apart at least, but it wasn't even linear. Like I remember even going through all that and then I would have like those little voices in the back of my mind that would say, you know what, maybe it's you. Maybe if you just try a little bit harder and try harder and try harder. And so I did do that for a time, but it worked out that no matter how hard I tried, it didn't play out the way I wanted it to. And then I also saw how this like fear-driven faith was destroying my two older kids and so as moms i think sometimes we can see things more clearly for our kids than even ourselves and so that was a little bit of a good perfect storm that got me like walking down the path at a deliberate pace toward freedom instead of just tiptoeing around it Um, and. I just didn't want that for my kids at all. And here's the kicker. I remember somebody saying to me at the time, well, if you don't want that for your kids, do you want that for yourself? And that person helped me to see that I was just as important as my kids. And I was allowed to go on this journey for my own healing and not just for them, And in the middle of it, I kind of had to trust the process that as I got healing and freedom, they would, and not only them, maybe for the other people around me, all like the people in my life. And of course, in the middle of it all, I started to listen to the Bible for Normal People podcast. And there was an episode with Rachel Held Evans, who I know you and I like love, absolutely love. And she talked about her own journey of, she called it unraveling and re-raveling. And I was in my car and I think I pulled over and just started to cry. And I thought, my life is unraveling and my beliefs are unraveling. Heck, like everything is unraveling. But as I listened to her talk, um, she talked about re-raveling. And I remember getting a little like boost of confidence sitting there in my car. And I thought, yeah, you know what? I can do that. As long as there's something good on the other side, uh, well, I'm unraveling. And I can do that for a time and let a lot of this stuff that's probably not good for me anyway, go. But then I can reravel myself and my faith my marriage, my parenting in a better, more healthy way. So that's where I am today. I'm I'm still in the middle of all of it. And like I said at the beginning, I think it's a journey that is never going to end.
1: Well, I know that just from knowing you, that you raised your first two children largely different than you raised your second two children. And I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about that because, you know, What are what would you say to moms who, or you know, any kind of parent caregiver who's listening to this podcast and saying, "Oh my gosh, I messed it all up!" You know, for the first ten years of my kid's life, I'm parenting with shame and fear and all of those things, and now what do I do? And I know that you have hope that you can share for them, but what what can you talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah, I can. The bottom line is, it's really sad. And I've had to grieve a lot about it, but it's also true. And it's what's true about my own journey. But uh, of course, I do highly regret my own fear driven parenting. Um, but, and you might have surmised this, I started to get help when I had my nervous breakdown. And my, my friend at the time reminded me that I was important. So I, I went to counseling. And not long after, my 10-year-old was struggling with full-blown OCD. And because I was finding lots of freedom and help for myself, I put her in counseling too. And she's coming on the podcast in a few weeks, and we will dive deeper into this. But this like opened up lots of conversations, even between the two of us and all the little layers started to peel off. Uh, and because of who she is and, and she happens to be Liz's really good friend. And now like one of my best friends in the whole world. And because of where we were at a similar time, we took this journey together. Like we got to do this. And, there, and there's something like so unique and beautiful about a redemption story where you didn't do it right from the beginning, but one where second chances are given and then brokenness is healed. I almost like it more than if it was good from the get-go. And I've been able to walk and see that with my two older kids Um, and our, our redemption stories and the fight for us all to be free have been really fun in many ways, and I've gotten to see it in my marriage, and um, of course, like, ugh, it's hard, and um like I've had to apologize to them over and over again. Um, but they've both they've like given me so much grace and so much understanding. Um, but the reality is that they still have wounds that they're working through the same way that my little girl self still has wounds that I'm working through. And I remember that when I was in not a great place and I was kind of being pummeled by the shame about it all. Someone said to me this, the wounds that your kids have are exactly where God will meet them. And I held on to that with all of my heart. Like there are places that no matter how hard I try or even want to, I can't personally heal the wounds of their childhood. And of course, like I can create an environment of grace and space for them as they work through it themselves. But there is a sacred hidden place where God will meet them and he will have to heal them. So that's like the older two and that that's hard. It's hard but it's been really, really, really good for us. And, and then my younger two, and it's kind of funny. I love my relationship with my younger two kids and they grew up with a really different mom in many ways. But the best part of that is that we have our own journeys together that we're not overly saddled with the baggage of a fear-driven faith. And that's like really cool too, And of course, there were other things that came into their lives that hurt them. And I obviously hurt them at times. Um, But we keep working through all of it together the same way as I would with my older two. It's just a different maybe kind of hurt. Um, But and I and I hold that idea about all relationships, like no matter who it is or who I'm with. No two are the same. They're as unique and one of a kind as the people who are in them. And so, yes, like I can compare the general pushed by fear side of my parenting to the led by love side. But in the end of the day, it comes down to the idea that no matter what, there can always be redemption. Always, always, always. And that's the story I like to tell about that.
1: I love that. I Like you said, I'm good friends with Sarah and I've watched your relationship with her. And it's such a beautiful relationship. There's this um, vulnerability to your relationship and honesty. Um, You know, and I know that you guys have many conversations about the past and you're able to talk about it openly. And, um, you know, Sarah is able to share with you her own wounds and you're able to hear that without shame for yourself. And I know you've done a lot, you know, you've done a lot of of work that doesn't just come easily, but it is such a beautiful story of redemption. And I just love the relationship that you guys have. And it's just really beautiful to watch. And so um, just the hope that that is your reality now with her is really beautiful.
0: Yeah. One quote that's also helped me along this journey is the one by Maya Angelou that says, when you know better, you do better. And that goes right to the theme of this whole podcast, which is grace for who we have been and perhaps are now and space for who we are becoming. So we want that for us, our families, and actually for you guys out there.
1: Absolutely. We're all just doing the best that we can in each moment, you know, and, Sometimes that means that we backtrack later on and we say, oof, I wasn't that wasn't great, or I didn't I don't feel great about what that was, or I need to heal from that. But we're all just doing the best that we can in each moment, and that's all we can do, right? Um, so I mean, you talked a little bit about the hard pieces of deconstructing with your family involved. But what about the hard parts of deconstructing for you personally? As you've deconstructed and reconstructed, um, what has been the hardest pieces of that? And then what have been the most beautiful pieces of that?
0: So the hardest part by far for me has been the loss that comes with this process. And two things I would say are a big loss for me would be the loss of community, like a definite community that I was involved in for a very, very long time. And then also, strangely, the loss of people's respect for me. Uh, that sounds strange, but I was always the person who other people went to and counted on to have the answers. And I think I was respected for that. So that has been a big loss. I think people are have lost some respect for me, which is just huge in my mind. Um, also... As I started to deconstruct, I felt like I went into hiding because I couldn't tell anybody. I was like in secret. And Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word, I feel like I was sort of quote unquote in the closet, but I had this authentic desire to be my true self and holding that intention was really, really, really difficult. So that has Those are probably my hardest parts, Um, but you asked like the most beautiful part. The most beautiful part for me has been things like finding new community and taking lots of baby steps towards the other side, which now I'm seeing really lends itself to freedom, which is crazy. And so you lose some good things, but you also lose some bad things like fear (laughs) and hiding and all of that stuff that goes along with trying to conform to what everybody else tells you to do. And I love being in, it's a really cool place to be in this place of freedom. And right now I would say, having gotten to know people and even starting this podcast and talking to people that I'm finding that there is community out there and I'm on the mission to keep finding it as my true self now and not as the self I was sort of putting on for everybody else.
1: Yeah. I love that. I think there is such a freedom in having some of those chains broken and being released from this box or even dare i say cage that a lot of us have felt that we were stuck in um and earlier you kind of alluded to this idea that you know a lot of the people who are who are drawn to deconstruction are curious you know and And a little bit i think a little bit like badass so you i found you to be one of the most knowledgeable people in my life right now um and i know you have a lot of wisdom and helpful tools um just as you've navigated this journey both as a mom and as a woman as a wife as just a human being what have you found the most helpful as you've sort of walked this journey? Um, we call it the tricky tightrope, right, <laughs> of deconstruction. And what can you share with our listeners about, you know, what you've learned, maybe in a more tangible
0: way? So I'm going to tackle this like in three ways. And the first big way, which I just alluded to before, was giving myself um Grace and space for the process because that's the only way to do this is to give grace to your former self and then give space for the person that you're becoming. But then in sort of a medium-sized way, understanding that this is going to be complicated and nuanced and beautiful and hard and good And that you don't have to be any further along in the process than you are right now. But, and you asked to be very tangible. So in a very tangible, like small way. And I read this book called The Next Right Thing by Emily P. Freeman. And that's actually where my quote came from at the beginning of the podcast, She kind of guides you along in the process of just doing the next right Mm. thing, but she adds in love. And so that is where I go because I have this desire to be led by love so much. Every time I make a decision, not every time, but (laughs) every time I make a decision, like in this space, Mm. I just look to do the very next right thing in love. And that is going to look different for everybody. That isn't going to be me giving you a formula because then we're just right back to where we were before um, with the formulas That and there is no magic bullet to make it all work out perfectly. So just little baby steps. And that might look for you like reading a book that's out of the box or listening to a podcast like this, that will challenge your thinking. Maybe it's leaving church. Maybe it's going back to church. Maybe it's kind of quote unquote, coming out of the closet to a friend and discussing the hard place that you find yourself in. Because I say, and I said this at the very beginning, we want to make sure that we're giving other people, but especially ourselves, unconditional love, and then the wings of freedom to be completely ourselves. So whatever next right baby step is going to move you into that place where you have freedom to be completely yourself, do it. Because as you become completely yourself, you will have your most true and beautiful self to give as a gift to the world. And you need the gift of me, and I need the gift of you. And as we strip away all the stuff that's not us, and we share our true selves with each other, I'm going to tell you this there's nothing better than that. And I'm going to give a little shout out to Liz here. She says this all the time. And you will hear us hammering home on this podcast this phrase. You do you. So, really, to end, I would perhaps ask yourself this question today What next rate right step can I take to be my most true and beautiful self as I lean into wonder and curiosity? And remember, and this will be my ending quote today you do you. Liz ends. Petters.
1: I love that. I mean, not the quote. I mean, I do love the quote, but <laughs> but I love what you I just love that idea of calling yourself a gift. Because I mean, I I know that you're a gift and I feel you as a gift. And I know that so many people have experienced you as a gift in their life. And so I think that's just a really important piece of that is being able to come to a place where you you can give yourself to others and that can be just really really beautiful um you esther are everywhere you are all the places you are in all the groups you are all the things where can people find you everywhere
0: well if you don't find me eating potato chips and milk while watching first responders save people from burning buildings car crashes or attempted murders (laughs) You can find me at estherjoygets.com. Joy is my middle name, which I love. That's where you can see all the stuff I'm up to, which includes kind of three big spaces. Faith. I'm actually known weirdly as the Dolly Mama in that space. So I hopefully there's some wisdom for all of us as we tackle like the bumpy journey of faith. And then... Um, motherhood is one area and I have something special for moms of older kids since I'm, I am one and my heart really is there um, because there's a lot of talk and a lot of help for people, for moms in the younger years. But when we get to these older years, there's not a lot of help out there. So if you have teens and up, check out all the good stuff I have. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram um, or Instagram or both. Um, And then marriage uh, believe it or not, my husband and I provide marriage mentoring for engaged couples. We have a full course and I'm actually a wedding officiant too. So if you are out there and you need help on that, we've got you covered. And of course, like this podcast is going to be on my website too. So yeah, EstherJoyGets.com, and we'll put it all in the show notes. So check me out there. Cannot wait. Send me a note when you get there.
1: I love it. I love it. You you are not hard to find. So they'll be able to find you. You are there whenever you, we need you. You are there. Um, well, Esther, this has been really wonderful. I just I feel like we just had coffee together a little bit and just let people have it with us. Um, but it's been this has been just a real joy for me.
0: Yeah, me too. Thank you so much, Liz. I cannot wait to keep going on this journey with you.
1: Same. Well, that's it for this episode on the Deconstructing Mamas podcast. We love that you tuned in and hope that this gave you a little bit of grace and space for your soul to breathe.
0: Don't forget to catch up on any of our episodes that you missed. And remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Deconstructing Mamas.
1: That's where you'll find all the information that you need about the podcast, as well as on both of our websites, estherjoygets.com and elizabethpetters.com, as well as our brand new website, deconstructingmamas.com.
0: If you would like to support the podcast, please leave us a review where you listen and especially tell others about the show.
1: Thanks for listening and come back again for our next episode. We can't wait to be on the other side of your headphones.